Hi, I'm Lucy Porter. And I'm Alexia Bolden. And, and this, this is Academia. Okay, huge news. I okay. have a massive announcement for the community. Massive. Get it on, yeah. My brain is done. Oh my. It's done cooking. God. It's oh complete. Oh my God. She, she's. Uh, in the past week since I have turned 25 years old, hold yeah. for applause. I have never felt more wise. I have never felt more independent, more feminine. I'm consuming so much culture, so much discourse. My brain is done. Well, I was going to say, I do see the the robe in the background as well as this huge staff. And, and that almost looks like an orb that you might future tell with. I don't know. You're just so yes. wise. Yeah, yeah. I am a wizard now. Yes. The only people who can be wise. <laughs> That's what they don't want you to know about turning 25 is once you turn 25, it's sort of a Harry Potter situation, but like less problematic and real. <laughs> what'd Sorry. You for, what'd you do for your birthday? How'd you celebrate uh, the, the cooking of your brain? It was really nice. I went to the beach and oh, I just had like a solo day by the water. I'd never seen the Pacific Ocean before. And so I drove my little ass to Santa Monica mm. and just walked around like the little park and sat on the beach and I read and I watched a kid almost drown. <gasps> and then I had a gorgeous dinner. It did was really nice. Him? Did you save him? <laughs> no, but I did watch somebody else save him. Oh, you're so brave. Yeah. I mean, I had my AirPods in. I wasn't going to get in the water. That'd be crazy. Can you get electrocuted from that? I wouldn't ask you to do I don't want to jeopardize my hearing. That's fair. You sound like you were living my dream. That's my California. Every time I think of California, I think beach days. I think reading with a little cardigan tucked around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to remember that I drove 60 to 75 minutes to get there. And so we do have to put that filter on the gorgeous mm -hmm. day that I had. Reality. Yeah, sorry about it. It's I'm not happy about it either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you had such a good time. That's such a good, an absolutely gorgeous day. Yeah, it was really nice. I think I I've been so consumed being here with like putting in roots and maximizing my time here and really trying to like get back into performing. And I'm like, I'm working on a short film, more on that later. But like I'm doing so much that like it was really nice to just take a day and lay on the beach by myself. Yeah. It was really nice. For an extrovert like myself, <laughs> I was shocked that spending a day alone could be so healing. An extroverted introvert's day. A, a look into Lucy Porter's birthday. Yeah, there was a full camera crew there, so the documentary will be released soon. Speaking of camera crew, I wish there was some way we could put your short film on the podcast so everyone has to be forced to see it because I'm so excited for this. <laughs> Thank you. It will be, I will be talking about it ad nauseum on the pod, I'm sure. Mm. There's a short film I'm working on that I wrote, I'm in it, I'm EPing it. Um, I'm all up in this bitch. It's called Bits. I'm really mm. excited about it. So we're filming that next month. We're in the throes of pre-production. It's been a really nice way to like meet people again and like start working with a group of people here i i'm feeling really excited about it so once we start filming and have like a release plan you bet your bottom dollar that i'll tell the academics about it academics academiacs we're here now i go to you for all my film and set knowledge 
about uh-huh. um, about what things are called and who what position is doing what. I was recently an extra on a set and I was like listening to all the terms they were saying. I don't know any of them. <laughs> it is honestly so unnecessary. Like all the abbreviations yeah. and the terminology that's used on set. Yeah. It is. It's so just like unneeded. I had to ask one of the PAs. I was like, what does this mean? What does that mean? Because the only thing yeah. I needed to hear was action. <laughs> like hold rolling action. <laughs> and then I just and did the only my thing, thing I needed to hear was action. That is so one woman show vibes. Oh, that's going to be <laughs> what's called. Yes, check back in a year. <laughs> that's the line before your act break. It's like a, that's that's the blackout needle drop. Well, speaking of one woman shows, I think our absolutely speaking of one woman shows had a fantastic <laughs> one that I was able to see and and be a part of a little bit. There's an audience interaction piece where uh, I could not leave. I had to leave. I, I did leave. You were involved. Yes. Yes. Huge. I truly, our guest solo show was one of the most impactful theater pieces I've seen in a minute. And like, okay, spoiler, spoiler alert. I consider myself close to the guest. I do. Sorry about it. It has been so cool to see her develop not only like with this piece, but as a performer and a person with the groundbreaking solo show that was The Locker Room. So without further ado, welcome to Academia, comedian, friend, extraordinaire, Rogue Schmidt. Yeah. Oh my God. What, <laughs> what an intro. Um, I'm honored. I'm honored to be here in an academic setting again, after mm-hmm. I told myself in 2019, I would never return to any academic setting uh, ever. And so I would only do that for the two individuals, <laughs> the two hosts <laughs> at hand here, uh, Lucy Porter and Alexi Bolden. I mean, <laughs> thanks, uh, doll. honestly, I'm at a loss words. And honestly, that was such kind things to say uh, about my show. I almost teared up and I was like, I said to myself, pull it together, Schmidt. <laughs> pull it together. You're at work. From the very <laughs> inception of taking a walk through Lincoln Park, where Rogue and I did one of my favorite activities, crying in Lincoln Park, mm-hmm. walking mm-hmm. together, openly sobbing, talking about our goals and our wishes and our ideas of the future. When it hits her, huh? I've been doing coach characters for so long. I'm so drawn to the themes of these characters. Why don't I bundle them all and put it into a solo show? And thus, The Locker Room was born. The Locker Room was born. And I do, I want to give Lucy a lot more credit than she will take. (laughs) Um, Because I think one, Lucy has worked with me and she knows how my brain works, which is picture like spaghetti getting thrown at the wall and a couple things sticking. (laughs) Um, I go, that's a good noodle. Keep that noodle. That's a good noodle. That noodle made a cool shape. And <laughs> it, it, it made the shape of a, a, a locker combination. <laughs> um, and so truly, Lucy, like you helped can like concept that show. Conceive? Concept? Yeah. Um, Conceptualize? You, mm, ooh, conceptualized. Alexi. You helped me conceptualize Yeah, I got it. books beside me. Oh, my God. Damn. This is academia. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm learning <laughs> and um, yeah, it was 
truly, and Lucy helped out throughout the process. Lucy would be the person where I'd be like, hey, so I'm like a little stuck. Um, can you help me talk this through? And I think it speaks to the comedic genius that is Lucy Porter, <laughs> where um, it's like, if I can't see something that is sitting right in front of me, Lucy goes, what about that thing right in front of you? And I go, how the hell do you think of it? But this is like, it's why I do comedy. That's why I got into comedy. And I have this relationship with both of you where it's like, I'm in this so that I can sit across from my talented friends at a dinner and just like workshop bits and concepts with each other. Like, that's why I do this. So the idea that I could even just like collaborate with the both of you on that level, that's a dream come true for me. Uh, That's why I'm here. Not only are we smart, but we're friends. (laughs) We're friends. At the end of the day. (laughs) And this tone, that's so rare. That's hot. I too, I also want to say, I think one, Lucy, I have to share this like little anecdote from the show. Oh, share away. I had one in my show, there's a closing monologue. And the first time I performed that monologue out loud, I performed it for Lucy. Audience of one at the... Intimate. Impeccable. Mm immaculate Mm. institution that is the second city. (laughs) I believe to be specific, Judy's beat lounge. Judy's beat lounge, baby. It's the beat lounge. And I performed it. I sobbed through it. Sobbed. Well, it's a very emotional, vulnerable monologue, which is not something that is easy to tap into. It, fe- it almost feels off brand mm. for what the comedy was inside of it to like break character, be vulnerable. But I think it truly, it takes a comedic genius. It takes a fantastic director and it takes a very close friend to say, dial it back. <laughs> <laughs> Some would say a bitch. It takes a bitch to sit Absolutely across not. from my friend who's sobbing and say, you can't cry in this monologue. It undercuts the performance. Mm. <laughs> and I went, you know what? I think you're absolutely right. Because it is. It's it's too raw. It's too emotional. And you have to have that distance. And I think that that's what we learn mm-hmm. while we grind doing show after show and it's what we learn interacting with audiences as much as we do is like yes it can be touching and vulnerable but you have to have that distance and I think that Lucy sweet dear Lucy like you're the only person that would ever give that note and be fearless enough to give that note which is an incredible note and a needed note so thank you and I love you I love you okay the audience now understands why Rogue's brought on this episode yeah (laughs) The audience is in tears as we speak. Oh, tears. I love you, buddy. It's an honor to do this alongside you. Hold on. Alexi, there was a mistake (gasps) in your bit. I remember this because I remember being like, oh, I just messed that up. Well, set up up the bit. Set up the participatory part of Locker Room. So wait, hold on. Alexi, do you remember what what question it is that you asked me? Yes, yes. Uh, I asked you, oh, I like someone in another class, but like, what if they don't like me back? Well, to give some context, there's a part of the show 
the locker room where Rogue plays a series of coaches and you're playing a substitute teacher that I believe the coach of the wrestling team wrestling coach who is then giving advice to a classroom and so you had the audience aka the students ask you Mm -hmm. questions yes and so I believe Alexi went um and because I'm like taking those questions from the audience answering them one by one the setup of the bit is person asks question. I figure out how to make it so that they have to leave <laughs> the room. I kick them out of the show. <laughs> and I do not let them back in until Patrick Manahan is gone. The coach. The coach. And then the next person asks, I kick them out. I think with Alexis, I only kicked Alexi out of the yes, room. Yes, this is true. <laughs> And I remember being like, wait a second. I was supposed to kick two more people out of the room. But I think what happened that night, and this is like some juicy tea, I was experiencing the craziest tech issues. Mm. And my tech person didn't show up to the show. And so I went out scrambling. Like my mind, the whole show was jumbled. God. And so, Alexis, there was one show where I was like, that's the badge. That's that's the bad one. (laughs) Unfortunately, Alexis, you're at the bad one. No, you know, I couldn't tell because it was great anyway. Thank you. That's very sweet. Uh, But I did want to tell you, you weren't supposed to be the only person kicked out of the room. (laughs) It's okay. I just, um, I wanted to be there for you and also not take away from your show. So I was like, I'll just stand behind the curtain and wait till, uh, wait till this guy's gone. And then I tried to come back in. And then uh, she said, what are you doing? I said, you (laughs) You're right. How how I could, how can I be so stupid? Let me go back behind the curtain and wait. <laughs> that is the hardest part about being a comedian at another comedian show, where it's like I I can be participatory, like I can contribute to this bit if you call mm-hmm. on me, but I don't want to distract or be more than what you need in that moment, and it is mm-hmm. an absolute mind fuck. I would rather not be called on at all. Yeah. <laughs> It's a nightmare. I never uh, volunteer for any other show. I'm always like, Mm-mm-mm. no, don't look at me. I want to support. <laughs> never, it's like it's it, it, like people being left up there. I it's definitely like nobody's gonna ask you questions. Nobody's gonna say anything. All right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'll just be like, you know what? For the sake of the show, one sentence. <laughs> I literally was like, I guess Rogue needs somebody. I'll be that somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved every moment of it. Rogue, you're doing so well on this podcast so already. Well. We're so far so in. Well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know that you can get a grade? Like you can like do good or bad on a podcast. Did you know? Would it still be, would I still be doing good if I went and answered this call from my mom? <laughs> Just kidding. You know what? Yes. Did you know the <laughs> No, <laughs> she doesn't need that. <laughs> You know, we don't need to put her on the internet. <laughs> what really helps with the grade on this podcast is, is mm-hmm. how you handle this next segment. Incredible. Some would argue that the next segment is a test, mm. an IQ test, even. Mm. Oh, love. No. Okay. Rogue, we know that you know that mm-hmm. IQ mm-hmm. tests are rooted in eugenics. eugenics. Yikes. E U G E N I C S. You were so brave for choosing to spell that. Just yeah, that. I told you I've got books by me. <laughs> I'm honored. But, but, but we 
we don't do that. We don't, we don't even pretend to like eugenics here. So what we've done is we've written our own IQ test questions and we will ask yeah. you the certified academia IQ test. Um, so without mm-hmm. further ado, we will ask you a series of questions in rapid fire succession and you will answer them to the best of your ability. Alexi, take it away. Rogue, finish this nursery rhyme. I phone, you phone, we all phone for McDonald's. Rogue, we all know email, but what's e-female? E-female is an internet female, which is made by the incels. (laughs) Rogue, if we celebrate presidents on President's Day and the Easter Bunny or Jesus on Easter, (laughs) what do we celebrate on New Year's? Chris Christie. Rogue, are you worried about what's going on with the whales? Oh, 100%. They're like off the coast of Spain, straight up killing people. <laughs> what? Well, and then like like this week, 30 of them gathered off the coast of like Monterey in California. And I'm like, I, I need them to know that like I don't need to be that deep into the water. Like they can have it. I love when they unionize. Yes. And I think, I genuinely think that this happened in an episode of Family Guy. <laughs> like the whales were doing what the whales are doing now. The W and WGA stands oh. for whales. God bless. Rogue. What number comes next in this sequence? Four, seven, 1002, 23, 41. Negative four. Hmm. Brilliant. Rogue. Thank you. Final question. Yeah. Okay. If girls go to college to get more knowledge and boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider, where do the they thems go? They go to your anus to get some ass, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's right, brother. (laughs) Hell yeah, brother. Gorgeous. Rogue, you're so smart. A plus, Rogue. A plus. We knew you you were pretty and funny, but I didn't know you were smart. Yeah, I like got a 15 on my ACT. So like, you, have, you got what? Oh, dude. You got what? Is this a 15? <laughs> One five, baby. That's like a very below average score. But it's because I answered C to every question. You get a 15. A 15 is passing. You mm-hmm. were sort of being a scientist. You were like, if I do this, what happens? Oh, yeah, I really was. Like, I'm not doing a bit. I was. Because I retook it, and I got a 25. Oh, okay. That's 10 more. Good yeah. math, Alexi. And what's next in that sequence is a 35. Ooh. And what's next in the sequence of the podcast is asking you, Rogue, what has academia ignored for too long? Every day, oh. I'm amazed by Alexi's transitions. <laughs> You're that so was good a at it. Transition. My brain never stops. Rogue. <laughs> yeah, Rogue. On this podcast, we seek to unearth topics that academia as a whole is ignoring. What have they ignored for too long? The academics have ignored for way, way, way too long, specifically my obsession with Adam McKay. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Not just Adam McKay or his oeuvre. No, no, no. Uh-huh. Your obsession, obsession with Adam McKay. 
and the movie Vice. <laughs> That's what acad- academics have ignored because it should be a case study. Okay. It no, it be. really should. It really should. Pretty early in my friendship with Rogue, I was finishing up my master's and I was in this class where we had to do coverage on scripts of like movies and TV shows that were coming out. So these were scripts that weren't necessarily available to the public yet. And so I had gotten a copy of the Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up, before the movie was released. And I remember telling Rogue like how moved I was by this script, which, side note, I know the movie wasn't great, but reading the script in isolation was impactful for what it was worth. Well, the book is always better than the movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so that was like the peak for me when you were like, oh, yeah, no, I know about this and I'm anticipating this film and here's everything I know about Emma Kay. And I was like, oh, cool. This girl gets it. Mm -hmm. I get that. Um. And that was a moment when I was like, this is a ride or die friend. <laughs> Someone who I, I mentioned my love in mm-hmm. passing and my new friend immediately goes, how about I send you the new script to his movie? And I go, uh. <laughs> that was an industry God, moment please. for us. <laughs> it really was one of first of many courting moves that <laughs> Lucy and I have gone through <laughs> courting each other professionally it's a torrid affair yeah absolutely hashtag shout out torrid plus size clothes for all do you remember when the Anna McKay fixation started for you I do um and I think any any listener any academia listener who has gone through the rigorous Mm -hmm. um curriculum at Mm -hmm our beloved institution, the second city, they know that pinata full of bees. Thank you, God. (laughs) Thank you, God, for pinata full of bees. And thank you, God, for the recording of pinata full of bees. But you have to know that if you watch pinata full of bees, your ass is going to get, when you first click on it, it's going to be the Toronto version. (gasps) You don't want the Toronto version. Click again, reader. Click again. Find the Adam McKay version. For those who don't know, and I know that's limited because most of our listenership does have access to the Second City archives. And if not, hit us up. For real. Um, (laughs) Second City had a review called Pinata Full of Bees featuring Adam McKay, Rachel Dratch, many others that is like Scott Adson yeah Scott Adson what's that guy with the hair it's the one guy who played the one nasty dude on Parks and Rec the guy who plays Jeremy Jam on Parks and Rec he's in it he's in it it's a who's who of Chicago alt comedy Mm -hmm. and I think is the awakening for a lot of 20 year olds who are like I think I like this comedy thing that's happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I heard that he wrote majority of it um, and that it was like his baby, mm-hmm. I, I loved the satiricalness of it. I, I feel like I've always tried to uh, cushion my comedy with satire and to then feel like, oh, I have access to this thing where like 
someone who like gushes over Talladega Nights and who mm-hmm. like lives in I don't know Des Moines, Iowa, and is never gonna come to the Windy City. <laughs> they're just gonna like search through YouTube. Like they're never gonna find what I have access to. And like that, like that moment, I was like, oh, oh, oh I, I like this. <laughs> like, yeah. It was very um, foundational for me. And then to watch that review, I watched it once when I was doing my second city semester. And I remember being like, hell yeah, okay. I rewatched it in isolation. And I was like, art will never be the same. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I think, the start of it. And then it slowly morphed. I think I watched Vice and I'm not sure where Vice is at in the timeline of it because I know Vice is one of his later movies, mm-hmm. but I watched Vice and when the credits rolled in the middle of the movie, I was like, oh, that's an alt comedian who just won't stop. Yes. And I hope to God to continue to be an alt comedian until the day that I die. That's good. For me, Adam McKay is a name and a, and, a, and a work that I recognize, but it's not somebody that I'm like, I need to follow this. So this is all very um, informative for me. And in terms of archives and reviews, I feel like everyone has their review that's like, this is my baby. This is close to my heart. Um, this mm-hmm. is what I really like to watch. And so I work at the World Famous. We talked about this. We, we, we discussed this on air. It's um, common knowledge. It's mm-hmm. everyone knows this. So in my spare time, I will go into the archives and just type in random words and watch like, like if I type in like <laughs> chair, it'll just pull mm-hmm. everything yeah. that references chair and the title, um, and just click on random ones because sometimes it gets really hard to sit through and watch reviews for like an hour and a half. Uh, totally, yeah. And especially when they're from like no offense, early two thousands. That is just a time that I was mm-hmm. I was a child for. I was a bit. And some of the camera quality is dated. Yes. Some of the audio quality, not there. Yeah. The actors are doing great. Um, Unless, of course. Some of the content. No, they they took out the content over the pandemic. And uh, it was funny because David Rosowski came to Second City this past week and he was talking about the archives and he was trying to find a bunch of scenes and he's like, oh, that one got taken out too? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, Yeah. they did a full sweep, my guy. (laughs) You'd be surprised the stuff they say in these reviews and like Mm -hmm. we're okay with. But uh, yeah. So wait, what is the, I want to know for both of you, what is the review that you could like watch over and over again? For me, I do. Okay. So I can't have three. So the first show I ever saw, I want to say like the last main stage because I saw that I think like six or seven times just because I was like, I love live shows and the energy of being in a live show is so different than like watching it on um, Mm -hmm. through your laptop screen years later. This is this you're referring to Second City main stage. Do the right thing. No worries if not. Yes. And then this new um, show, which I just I love watching the cast be themselves on stage. I think that. For any show that I go to, even if it's like a scripted play, I love watching each person's um, interpretation of that character. Mm-hmm. There is mm-hmm. a there is a sketch in A Red Line Runs Through It uh, where these two black women are just like talking back and forth, like talking out of their windows back and forth. And as someone who like in Living Color was one of my, was my doorway into sketch comedy, that felt so comfortable 
and hilarious. Like, it was so funny um, because it was so familiar to me. And watching that mm-hmm. on a, like a Second City bigger stage, it was on ETC. I was like, okay, like I could also bring my voice into this. It doesn't just have to be like mm-hmm. what people in the middle of Indiana find funny, but like there is space sometimes because I know that this review had a lot of um, pushback because it was so cultural and comfortable. Uh, and some people just didn't get it. Mm. So those are those are mine. Yeah. I remember watching the review after um, it was my first Second City review. Uh, she was in that. And I remember falling in love with uh, Deja Vu. Um, I can't remember the like second part of the title of Deja Vu. I literally have it written um, down. Um, Fool Me Twice, Deja Vu. Fool Me Twice, Deja Vu. I was saying that second part i remember watching that i watched it in january of 2016 cute and my family bought me tickets because they were like we know you want to move up here and my brother's girlfriend (laughs) drove me into the city to go see a show at the world famous second city and i sat front fucking row gorgeous Uh uh-huh premium seats yeah 96 dollars currently I don't know if they were 96 back then. Probably not. They're taxing. They are. They're ta- you know what? Make your money. <laughs> <laughs> Pay the actors and your wait staff. Make your money. But I remember loving uh, them through it. And when I saw them in, I think, a, a different show, I, I like devoured uh, any show that they were in because mm-hmm. they're freaking incredible. Lucy, yours? Yeah, I was similarly impacted by Pinata Full of Bees. But I had the experience of I did comedy studies my junior year of college as like a study abroad type deal where I was in like normal liberal arts school in North Carolina. And then I came and I did this semester of like a comedy education in Chicago at the world famous Second City. And so I had come from this like pretty like standard comedy scene. I was doing stand up. I'd done improv. And then getting into comedy studies where I was surrounded by a bunch of people who had been studying comedy for three years to that point, knew their history, knew their reviews, knew their voices a lot more than I did. It was really eye-opening to me to like see what at the time was like edgy, alternative, cool comedy. So like, I think there's a scene in Pianata Full of Bees where they make everybody bring forth their blockbuster membership cards and they cut them in half mm-hmm. to like yes. shove it to the yes. man. And are like, why are you so comfortable? Yes. I know this scene or like you, yes. you gave us a bunch of, you have like, you're so scared of people having information, but we, you just gave us all of your information. Like we found out about like all of you by like that. That's in that same show, right? I think so. Yes. The, um, the like, Oh God, it's like TSA, the TSA sketch. Yeah. 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 I don't have as encyclopedic knowledge of this show as I used to, but like, mm-hmm. like, like even like the scene design, like the stage design of the review, like all the costumes and props are out on the stage and it's very like, no, we're going to put on a show and you're a part of it. Get on board. And that was an attitude that like, I think I needed as a pretty like buttoned up kid at the time and so that gave me permission to get a little more experimental with my comedy to the point that like when I left Second City that semester I didn't know if I would have access to the archives again and so I downloaded Pinata Full of Bees and I kept it on my computer and I was showing people at college of like 
no, no, no. Like, see what sketch comedy can be. That same semester, I saw my first Second City show, which was Gaslight District, the ETC review, and loved that one. So that's my, like, that's my modern fave. Um, Mm -hmm. And even, like, as I'm in L.A. now, and a lot of the people who are in that show are also in L.A., and I get to, like, see them around, it feels like this, like, micro celebrity of like oh I saw you in Gaslight District and it really kind of changed my perspective on things and it's cool yeah whenever I see people um who were I saw my laptop like in real life I'm like um hi I saw you on the show and you don't even know who I am and it was years ago but your picture's still up in the hallway but I just want to say that uh thank you for your service yeah because um I work at Second City I just step into shows a lot um for any level of class because I'm just I'm so interested of just mm-hmm. seeing the process mm-hmm. and at different levels as well different people different people coming from different places to do this material and so there's there'll be times where I know that I've heard or seen a scene and I have no idea where it came from and mm. so when I watched Dream Freaks for the first time all the way through I was like I know several of these sketches like is this where this originated because I've seen it so many times now that I don't even know which review things come from anymore because it's just people really popular. I think turn around, turn around um, that one blackout that they like with the um, so listeners. Uh, this turn around blackout is two people. Um, it's like a silent scene almost because these two people are arguing back and forth or just like having a heated conversation back and forth. And someone like is like turn around and gesturing like there's a serial killer behind you and b- behind them comes up someone in like a a Jason mask with a, with a knife and then it blacks out before you can see what happens. But I've seen that so many times. And when I watched dream freaks, I was like, is this where it came from? Is this the origin of this? And then, um, John Hildreth walks by, uh, shout out John Hildreth. And I was like, John, like, is this the origin of the scene? And he was like, I guess so. And then walked away. (laughs) Incredible. I heard that scene for the first time when I was a sophomore in college in my sketch comedy group for the first time. And somebody pitched it to be in our show. And it was in our show. And then I came to Second City for my semester. And I saw it in Dream Freaks. And I texted our group chat. And I was like, you guys, what a crazy example of parallel thought. Who would have thought? That's insane that we had the same idea as these people. And then the head writer wrote back and said, oh, no, I saw that show and I liked it so much that I thought we could do it. That's a cardinal sin. And that was the day that everything changed for me. And I think I became in charge of that sketch group from that moment on. Incredible. (laughs) I mean, plagiarism. Woof. We saw what it did. To Dane Cook. <laughs> I've seen two sketch shows recently that each have a bit about the like old nursery line, like who stole the cookies from the cookie jar. And I, I like was like, what? I like went like, oh my God, I've seen this. I've seen this a week ago. <laughs> I can't and it be was a- back in the ether right now. That's not like... <laughs> <laughs> Two different institutions, one Second City, one Annoyance. And I was like, well, now, hey. It's like how every show in Chicago right now has the word rat in the title. I do want to loop back to Adam McKay real quick, because I think you brought up something that is arguably one of the most interesting parts about Adam McKay's career is 
the pivot to prestige. Ooh. You have Talladega Knights. You have stepbrothers. You have like all of those heavy hitter comedies. And then you have this like modern turn or dare I say modern return to satire with the big short vice. Don't look up that. I just think is really fascinating. Hell even like EPing um, succession. It's a turn to prestige. It really is. And I, uh, watching the big short Mm -hmm. and the way that he uses celebs and like interesting moments to like break down and keep an audience entertained while they explain these really big conceptual issues. Yeah. Um, or like very cerebral things where that is something that's so intriguing to me, which is, I think the difference between a comedian's mind and a normal person's mind, uh-huh. which a normal person would be like, that does not interest me. That is so benign and boring and banal. I refuse to listen to it. And it just sort of goes in one ear and out the other, which so many people do that in so many aspects of life where a comedian is truly the person who's like, wait, what did you just say? Yeah. What was that thing? Can you explain it? How does this fit into the context? How does this, I think a comedian, I truly think comedians are people who are like, like questioners. Like they're always like, tell Mm. me more. Like I want to understand so that way I can make fun of it. <laughs> and I think that's incredible. <laughs> and I think Adam McKay is truly like the genius of like, hey, here's this really interesting thing that directly affects your life. Mm-hmm. And you are completely ignoring it because it's not happy-go-lucky, fun, hot, sexy. <laughs> and so then he's like, it can okay. Be. It can be. And how about this? I'll make you listen to it by getting Margot Robbie, Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande Mm -hmm. into the picture to explain it to you because they get your attention. Yeah. 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 I'm so drawn like in my own work. And then I think I like in turn then consume a lot of art that has this philosophy that just like lives at the intersection of slapstick and satire, Mm -hmm. like using lowbrow accessible comedy to communicate like these cerebral messages is magic and I think it's what Adam McKay does the best yeah it truly it um blows my mind like anytime I watch Big Short anytime I watch Vice Mm -hmm. um I've only watched Don't Look Up twice and I think it's been like a couple years between um I feel like those are his like really big heavy hitters of satire, satirical pieces. Mm -hmm. When I read um, Don't Look Up, it was one of those things that I was able to to look at it through the lens of like, oh, this was a piece that was written before the pandemic. Like Mm -hmm. in a pre-pandemic world, I think that script has a much bigger impact. And so like in my head, isolated from like public commentary on that movie, I think I was able to give it that same grace. And that's why it felt meaningful to me. But then when it was 
released when the movie came out on Netflix and there it was subjected to like discourse of people mm-hmm. who had been through a two year pandemic at that point of like, we're so over this, this feels preachy because we had just lived through like an analogous experience. I, it was, I think a hard circumstance for that movie to be released into. Yeah. And, and I think even now I can like feel in live shows when people mention the word COVID, when Mm. people mention the word pandemic, you can feel the energy of the room shift. You can feel people's assholes tightening being like, oh that thing stop like they're immediately like full there's no comedy that can be done about this right now because it's too raw and I think to circle back all the way to the locker room and that ending uh monologue where I had a director say like hey peel back take it take it a moment it's too raw COVID is still too raw for live comedy in Chicago Mm -hmm. Well, because I was going to say there's there's one show that is handling COVID well, in my opinion, and it is a like Ooh. pre-written show. It's the other two on Max. <laughs> but Max. <they're, laughs> Max, hold for applause. Max Cantor. <laughs> I love Max Cantor. <laughs> Shout out Max Cantor. <laughs> Season two of the other two ended in a spot where in world it was March, 2020. So like there, the characters are experiencing this big change. One of them gets something they've really wanted. And then we, the viewers find out that it's March, 2020. And so then season three, which is currently airing picks up post COVID, like in our world where people are largely unmasked, but like still Mm -hmm. have gone through the pandemic and they're making heavy solid jokes about it and like one of the characters arcs is about like feeling like everybody else became a good person during the pandemic and feeling like they were the only one who didn't choose to do good Mm. and now they're falling out from that and it's they're handling the pandemic like pros and I think we're gonna look back at the void and lack of pandemic stories or at least the acknowledgement of a pandemic in contemporary art and feel weird about it there's a show that was these are yeah sorry i'm looking it up as we speak because it was a show Mm -hmm. that uh, came out during uh lockdown the lockdown portion of the pandemic i'm looking i'm looking it's called solos yes um Mm. and it it's a dramatic like limited episode series on Amazon and like Anne Hathaway, Helen Mirren, uh, Constance Wu, Anthony Mackie, they all had like one episode where their, um, where their care, you just, you just had, it was just them. And it was oh, interesting. Of, uh, conforming to pandemic filming requirements and all this stuff. But there is a short in it. I'm trying to find the actress's name. Okay. Uzo Aduba and her, mm. her entire, well, all of them kind of like, they were, I would, I don't know who wrote them and kudos to them, They like all the props. Because the exploration of every single, and all the actors are amazing as well. Morgan Freeman had one, I believe. The the actors ate down, I would just say that. They all were amazing <laughs> in it because it was, it was, each episode was exploring a different 
way that somebody was like grappling with either with their humanity, like Helen Mirren's episode. Okay. So there was like this thing where like um, people could sign up to like go like captain a ship to Mars so that they could see how long it took like a human ship to get to Mars or something like that. But you had to agree that you could never come back to Earth. Mm. And Helen Mirren's character, who had so many regrets in life, was like, I'm not going to regret this one thing. And then as like on the journey, the spaceship is asking her questions. What's your name? How old are you? What's your big, like, like what are things that you think of, like often? All these things. And she starts telling the story of her biggest regret. And she comes to terms with, oh my gosh, like, I could still save this. My life is not over. I'd like to turn around now. And he says, he, like, they can't turn around. You, you have to sign that you cannot turn around. But because she was going to die before they even got back to Earth, because they had spent so many years going too, like she wouldn't have known either way because she's going to die on that ship. Like that is, everyone's going to die on that oh. ship. But so Uzo Aduba, her episode was like all about isolation. And it was like, what happens when you just spend so much time by yourself? She created this like utopia for herself. Her house was like perfect temperature she always had food mm. she could see outside but she never wanted to go outside and again it wasn't it was another one of those relationships where she is talking to like an alexa or like an like an uh, automated ai yes she her, like the voice was like all right I, like it was like okay everyone else is handling this pandemic it was giving updates on like how many people were released how many like from their like uh their like orbs and she and it's they were just like, like big brother germany hey <laughs> and they were like uh, the the automated voice was like you can go outside anytime now the pandemic has been over for years and she was like i can't like i don't know anybody anymore and mm. they were like your friends keep calling you and you send them all to voice it was just like she had created this codependent relationship with this voice with this like siri alexa type um thing that controlled her house and it was just like what happens when you have everything you need in one spot and you're like terrified to go outside and that was just seeing mm. That like the actors take that, and it was it was such an, an, an insane series to watch, and it was also again during lockdown, so it was like mm-hmm. really heady. Wow! But I agree that yeah. having live shows about it, I don't think anyone's making the like the like choices of what happens when you're isolated. I think everyone's like punchline is COVID. But again, I think yeah. I do think it's very sensitive. I think it's something that everybody went through, and you have no idea whose family was impacted by it the most. So it is very. Um, That's the thing. Yeah, and and that's like that's how I feel about when people try to make light of of situations that don't really affect them personally, but they're like, but as a society, we all agree like we're over it or we've discussed it or something. But I'm like, if if you haven't personally gone through something or if you weren't personally affected by like maybe um, protests or like um, maybe you don't have a seat at this table, like maybe you don't tell that joke, maybe that's not your your place to go. And people are like, comedy is experimental; it's meant to push boundaries. And at the same time, I think that it also like art is meant to break rules and everything, and also you have to be aware of the world that you're in and if we're changing as a world and if we're changing as a, like, if we're, if language is fluid to wrap that point up, essentially, like if we, as a, as a culture, as an American culture are agreeing that things can change, then maybe art like comedy can as well. Maybe comedy isn't always meant to be the space that like pushes things. Maybe we don't go to comedians every time. Maybe we don't like give Dave Chappelle a 15 minute monologue on Mm -hmm. SNL when everyone else gets three to five minutes because he has something to say and because he was great once. It just, when like the lockdown was happening, people were like, comedians, say something. <laughs> Maybe sometimes it was like, we changed like, too. No, don't, don't turn to them now. Well, that was yeah. insane to me how like, it was just insane. 
the fixation on. There's a reason Vice wasn't released in, during the Bush administration. We have to yeah. have perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, just to like friggin' hop in with the like Vice came out at the perfect time. Yes. Um, I think and I don't I can't decide like what's worse, which is like having someone like Cheney or having someone like Trump, where it's like it's two ends of this different spectrum. And I think people don't realize that people move in silence. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's that's scarier. It's harder to keep tabs on. And I think that's what um, Adam McKay like was uh, definitely speaking to in that movie was like, this is another one of those things where you don't realize how directly your life has been impacted by this because you just don't know. And it's like, how can you criticize what you don't know or even understand? I do think it, I think comedians a lot of the time like either teeter on one or the other ends where I think that's like the great part is like the variety of types of comedians there are Mm -hmm. not every comedian can be satirical not every comedian can be slapstick like and I think that's fantastic and I think that Adam McKay does the satire so incredibly well yeah and that's what I love about it but you're so right like like say like some people just need to like and I'm also talking about like cis hetero um, people who are not of color. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I've seen so many things of people deciding that they can they get to take a stance with them, be- they get to take a stance with them because they saw it once, or because they like have friends who have identities that are not like that are not um, cis hetero and like white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like because we can push boundaries, I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna write about this, even though it's not my experience. I just know someone who does experience that. And that's mostly where, like, yeah. write what you know and also, like, you can push boundaries and also, like, that's, what 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 are you writing from? What experience are you writing from? From knowing somebody who, who, who deals with... There's also the thing yeah. where it's like, and I'm not the first person to say this, but you have to know the rules in order to break them. And so I think that's, mm-hmm. like, where you see writers like Adam McKay, who clearly have a master of sketch comedy are then able to apply that to a larger satirical project, make larger commentary. Not to talk about the other two again, but I think they're <laughs> doing the same thing. Where it's like, like the, the head writers, uh, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, were previously the head writers of SNL. And you can see, especially in this current season, where like a mastery of sketch comedy is making better long-form narrative TV. It's just, I'm, I'm impressed by it. And you, but like a lot of those people that we're talking about who think that they then have the platform to go out and like push those boundaries and be edgy, don't have the mastery first. Yeah. I've read enough student short films (laughs) in my time to know that you have to start from a place of like expertise to then subvert it. Yeah. And I'm top on the Jordan Peele train, but that like... (gasps) 
Yes. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe his name is just now coming up in this conversation. I didn't want to, yeah. I wasn't going to mention it around maybe 48 minutes, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't no, no, no. The, and thank God you said it because that was the elephant in the room. Jordan Peele. Yeah. The auteur in the room. Jordan Peele. I, yeah. I watch Key and Peele with my brother mostly because he would send me sketches. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is, it's so funny and all these mm-hmm. things. And so it's mm-hmm. not a, a hard leap to to like because some of their sketches were unsettling we're just like yeah especially there's one where um jordan peele he is um ordering a ordering a pizza for his group of friends but it's just the figurines in his room because like uh keegan's character is like who else is there and he's like oh this guy and it's like that if you like didn't do that like that is like like that is not if you find out as a pizza delivery man, like you go to this house where you think it's a party going on, it's just one man who was doing voices on the phone for no reason. Uh-huh. That's a little, that's a little unsettling. And so the the, yeah. the leap to horror or thriller is not super insane because a lot of their sketches were like, if this was, there was an Uber driver one. It was so like, if there was, it would, if this wasn't positioned as sketch comedy and if it was like two random guys making this, I'm like, this mm-hmm. is a really creepy and really like hard to stomach if you just thought it was just some man who was just god i forget the premise of it but it was an uber driver who's being weird to his customer essentially incredible and that's every uber driver in chicago (laughs) (laughs) but um i also love the jordan peele sketch where it's uh jordan's playing this like very sick child (laughs) and it's like a -a make-a-wish sketch and like the music in it is so funny and it's the commitment that both of them have to their characters. And isn't it, I can't remember who the doctor is in there. It's, um, Oh, I'm losing. It's, it's uh, you remember that movie with David Spade that came out about Lord like, Lucas. A, it's Lauren Lucas. I think she's in that. And she plays like opposite and it's like such fantastic shift of energy Mm. um where they both are so distinct distinctly their characters um but i think it was jordan who said like the difference between a comedy and a horror is the music yes wow yes 100 i believe that we don't fact check on this podcast famously no incredible as long as you're making a good point we don't care if it's right or wrong we do not care (laughs) doesn't either they really don't well, I love it. I love it here. We create a really welcoming and warm environment here at Academia. I love that. Absolutely. I do want to know before we wrap up, like, wh- how do you think your love for Adam McKay shows up in your work now? Um. Wow. Yeah. It's um, sorry not to be an interviewer. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm booking deadline over here. Call me Variety, honey. I'm got the questions. I love it. Um, So one, we already touched on it and I was going to mention it, but then it just, the moment passed. Mm. Um, The reason all of my props are out in locker room is it's an ode to pinata full of bees. Really? Um, Yeah. It's my thing where I was like, oh, everything has to be on stage. Yeah. Besides my one prop. Yeah. I mean, besides my one prop where it's like the famous switch out um, of the confetti Phil. We're really teasing Lockeroo. I guess you're gonna have to remount it. Take it I'm just gonna put it on my put it on a website. <laughs> yeah, be like, that works too. If you want. And so it's that. It's I feel like well, one right now it's a question that I'm currently grappling with, which is um, I feel like, and it's one of my favorite Adam McKay stories, 
which is him advertising his own suicide on uh, in Chicago. <sighs> and it was a part of a sketch show called Virtual Reality. And this was in like 93 or 98. Oh my God. It was back in the 90s when I think is like where Chicago comedy was so alt and mm-hmm. so thriving because I have a lot of friends in their like late 40s, early 50s who tell me about the top, like what Chicago was like in the yeah. 90s and the comedy that was happening. And even from listening from interviews of Adam McKay, Amy Poehler, like folks who were in that generation, I don't know why those two are just the only ones sticking out to me right now. The way they talk about it, it seemed so magical. Yeah. And I think that advertising your own suicide is so funny and like on the flyer it says no joke like he's already anticipating what people are going to say and it's not a bit it's not a bit and they like just were doing anything like they asked like a giant building here in Chicago it's my dream to find out what building that is and like Uh take a picture like this in front of it just like I want to see what building it was and they were like hey can we go up on top of your roof and throw a CPR dummy off for a sketch show? And the Chicago, like whatever building manager was like, yeah, yeah, why not go for it. That was the most normal thing that happened to that person that day. (laughs) Yes. And what's wild is one, like the sketch show was called virtual reality. Mm -hmm. I don't even think virtual reality, like VR, the way that we know it, was even in talks at that time. Yeah, I don't think so. so. It's like, I would highly doubt. Was the internet even in Because they thought that 2000 was going to be like too many zeros for the computer, right? At all. Yeah, so I think that they were not even near VR. <laughs> they, they would shit their pants they would if they time traveled to now yeah. and went to Redline VR. <laughs> People from the 90s. <laughs> right. Literally born in the 90s. Literally born in '95. If my um, parents, if my parents knew what technology was like today, they'd lose their minds. My parents who were adults in the '90s, if they saw an, an iPhone, their heads would explode. They would die on the spot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think the work shows up where I keep doing more and more satirical things. Mm -hmm. I like one of my locker room coaches was very satirical. It was about, it was a coach, but it was about gun violence. It was a sketch about that, which is um, just something that I haven't seen many other people tackle right now. Um, People aren't really one. I feel like we are in the Chicago comedy era of post Tim Robinson and yes here's what i want to say i fucking love it i love it um but also no one's really diving into saying something with sketch it's so rare to find satirical comedy accessible in a way where i think it used to be accessible because everyone was like Mm -hmm. wanting to take down the man and like wanting to comment on um their experience with society i think People aren't, they just aren't diving in. They'd rather do more absurd 
what one like absurd absurdism is thriving in Chicago right now. God, yeah. And so I think I keep trying to ask myself, what am I trying to say in this sketch? And how can I make that sharper and make it smart and keep Mm -hmm. and have the audience keeping up with me? And so I try to do that in my solo work. And I do like one Adam McKay's my fucking background on my phone. So like (laughs) my guy's there all the time. (laughs) Yes, I agree. I also have what two years experience with Chicago comedy in person. Um, And I, I wonder just just like the trend of of life of creating art and artists and because I agree that the nineties seem like a dream time like whenever I watch like Martin and Wayans Brothers and, and Living Color and Living Single mm-hmm. I'm like this is insane you guys just like like I'm watching the later seasons of Martin right now and he just has cameos of like Kelly Caulfield and um who like people who are on Sister Sister um the guy who played um Lisa's love interest in the in the later seasons but anyway I'm like that's I love I just love 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 that. And I, mm-hmm. in terms of absurdism currently, I, I wonder if it's just because of like the state of the world currently, like we're all coming to terms with like, oh, we might die soon, like really soon. I don't kind of want to focus on that. I don't want to focus on how dreary it is outside. We just went through a pandemic, like everyone, like it's declared over, but it's still going on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really like see people just trying to be like, let's forget all that. Like, let's just live in this fantasy world because like the real world is disgusting and scary and who knows how long it's going to last type of thing. The whales, the whales, all of these things. The whales are unionizing. The whale, And so mm-hmm. it's like, it's. We're going to see a pivot in Chicago comedy away from rats and towards whales. I predict whales. that now. Well, it's just like, it's so like. That's a great prediction. To, to do that work, to, to be satirical about things that we're currently experiencing, you have to go there. You have to think about it. And like putting yourself in that mental space is such a, a an undertaking to think about, oh my God, like, yeah. the, like things are on fire. Things are falling into the ocean. Like New York was yellow for like three, four days. I think it might still have remnants of the, the poisonous air in the sky, but it's like, now I've got to think about it and I've got to think about how I feel about it. And now I got to think about how to write it down. And I got to through a couple of drafts of how I feel about this and writing it down. And, and that's what I like to do with my work. I'm like, Oh, I think about this anyway. I may as well write something fucked up about it and fucked up as, and not in a way that hurts anybody, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought you did. I thought that character that you did with the, with the, um, I thought it was very smart and very the Kepler um, vest. Yes. Oh, which God bless George Elrod, my actual director. <laughs> my actual director who was like um I made a Kevlar vest made one out of like duct tape and like cardboard Mm -hmm. and George took one look at it and was like absolutely not you're not wearing that and I was like (laughs) but I worked really hard on it and they were like yeah but it looks awful. <laughs> and this is why you need third parties to look at your work. This is why we need directors. And and we need we need directors who tell you when to cut things. Mm-hmm. Because I think one thing that I love about my comedy is I'm not precious. Um, yeah. Lucy, you know this, where I'm just like, oh, okay, it doesn't serve the piece. Great, it's gone. Done. Um, and I'm always down to cut something where I can watch a sketch show and be like, Oh, no one had a director here telling them what the strong pieces were, what pieces need honed and how to keep 
the audience on their toes, even if some it's something that you find really funny. If an audience can't find it accessible first, they can't find it funny. Yes. And so I think that's something that I'm always trying to keep. And also context. We got to talk about context, people. <laughs> um, I see so many sketches where it's like, I don't understand the context of this. And I don't think... I don't think you understand the context and you need to have a director. This is my call out to all Chicago comedians right now. (laughs) Get a director, get a director that you love and trust and who you think is funny and delightful and glamorous. I, I feel like I had, I had George and I also had Lucy be my directors for many pieces. Um, And they just directors elevate your work. Get a director. Rogue elevated circle of frenzy unauthorized American girl doll musical, which you can now view on YouTube. Yeah. Emphasis on unauthorized. We're working with Mattel. (laughs) (laughs) What a lot of my hands right now, but you're next. Um, Yeah. I'm so sorry, y'all. I feel like my pod, (laughs) my episodes less about Adam McKay and more about Chicago comedy. (laughs) And one would argue it's one and the same. Mm. You can't have one without the other. That's so true. Yeah, Adam McKay effect. <laughs> Adam McKay is in the blood of Chicago comedy. Rogue Schmidt is in the blood of Chicago comedy. Alexi Bolden's in the blood of Chicago comedy. I was for like a minute. And now I'm exploring what the blood of LA comedy looks like. And you know what? It's different and we're figuring it out. But it's all good and it's all valuable. Our final segment is the valedictorian speech. We've done so much important work today demonstrating our knowledge and our academic power us. And now we're going to showcase that with a valedictorian speech. Rogue, I know you had that 15 and then a subsequent 25. Were you ever a valedictorian of any student body? Now, here's what's crazy. I almost, I could have been valedictorian of my college (laughs) um, because I got such good grades in comedy class. Oh my God. In one class, I think I got like 120% in the class because I did a ton of extra credit. And they literally had a conversation with me where they were like, you might be one of the first comedy valedictorians. (laughs) And we want you to be prepared for that. And I think I got a B in one class and it just tanked me in my last (sighs) semester. Uh Oh my God. That's brutal. Yeah. But I graduated summa cum laude. There you go. That's what matters. Well, we're going to give you the chance to redeem yourself now because here you are one of the valedictorians. Mm -hmm. Wow. Alexi and I will each give a speech first and then it will be your time. Alexi, do you have anything? Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Take it away, baby girl. (sighs) Take it in, guys. You, You feel that? That's the feeling of freedom. Because through getting this degree, I realized that you can do anything you want. I just found out that you can actually live and train to be a mermaid. You can get a little tail. <laughs> yes, you can even yes, go around the yes. world with other I people. I watched this documentary. Yeah, who want to be mermaids. You can decide that one day you want to be a surfer and completely immerse yourself into the surfing community of, of the world, of America, of your state. Because you, you can also surf on lakes and rivers. You won't have mm-hmm. fun. You, you know what? Maybe you will. Who am I to say? 
This is basically saying that any community that you find joy in, go delve into it. Go find the people who make this community what it is today, like we have with Chicago Comedy. Do what makes you happy, and I cannot stress that enough. And when it stops making you happy, you can go somewhere else. I just told you people can be mermaids. Anything is possible. Thank you, and um, Godspeed, ultimately. 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 Amen. Amen. Gorgeous work. All right, I'm ready. Hey, class of 2023, it's me, your valedictorian. I stand before you, Arnard, humbled. I started as a freshman in this institution, looking out at the vast communities that I would one day hope to be a part of. And I stand here before you today and I say, I did it. And you probably did it too. You have seen such a robust demonstration of the deep, creative friendship one can have. And yeah, you can find people that won't judge you for crying when you read a feature-length script written by Adam McKay in the middle of a cafe at 10 a.m. You too can find your people who will workshop bits in an Indian restaurant in Lincoln Park. Anything can happen because it happened for me. I love you. Kisses. Wow, that was beautiful. Do other speeches? It was in in Irving Park and I I immediately regretted saying Lincoln Park. Okay, I've been in LA for two months and I forgot all the Chicago neighborhoods. It's bound to happen. Oh my God, there's 72 of them, so. (laughs) I have. I think there is 70. It's in the 70s. That's really chic. Oh, Rogue, quit dragging me and give your speech. Oh, wow. Standard comedians, alt comedians, prop comedians, Mm. and just regular improvisers. (gasps) This is my speech to you. (laughs) Keep going. Yes. Keep going. And honestly, fucking pop off kiddos <laughs> because the the world needs what chicago comedy is a brewin right now and chicago comedians you need what you're a brewin right now and i think that we're going to look back at this time of like 2023 20, all the way back to the pandemic Mm -hmm. the buttholes are clenching everyone's afraid because i mentioned the word i just loosen mine oh hell yeah and i say um this is the golden age we are seeing such beautiful artwork come out we're also seeing artwork that we wish to never see again we're seeing plagiarized bits Uh left and right Uh uh-huh And I say, I guess we got to work through the gunk (laughs) and we'll make it out like a like a gutter that needs to be cleansed by a professional plumber or whatever those guys are called. Yeah. Just keep rolling. Keep rolling and keep having fun uh, because, uh, you know, we all teeter with 
general wants and needs and, and uh, things like that. And it gets cluttered all up in our brain. But find your people, find your community, find those moments and hang on to them. Yes. I love you, Chicago Comedy and Adam McKay. God bless. God bless you. And I think you would hate that I say God bless you. <laughs> Gorgeous. Rogue, thank you You're so no much for being here. All. No, that was really good. It was vulnerable. It's what I do best. Before we let you go. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to plug? What do you have coming up? Where can people find you on social, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? What's your social security, you know, Ooh. kind of those vibes. Oh, um, yeah. You can find me uh, on my Instagram, on my Twitter, on my TikTok at Rogue Schmidt, R-O-G-U-E-S-C-H-M-I-D-T. Mm-hmm. That is my handle on everything uh, because no one else has the name that I have. And thank God for that. I right now in Chicago comedy, I'm popping off on Monday nights, yes. uh, Monday night improv um, at the Annoyance Theater. You can also find me being a little gremlin around the city uh, in many, many different locations. Um, so just keep I post all the fucking time about shows and it's my worst quality. Um, but also <laughs> we do what we can in this damn city. It's what we love about you, kid. Thank you, Bebe. Also, thank you so much for having me on the damn pod. Of course, this was a long time coming. Honor and a privilege. This is uh, truly, <laughs> truly know it. You two are both brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love you both so dearly. And Alexi, we got to get coffee soon because Lucy's gone. And you know what? Finally, my plan that I have yeah. tried to put into motion of getting Lucy to L.A., mm-hmm. The whole plan along was I was in Chicago to make friends for Rogue to then take when I left the city. Uh, okay, my plan mm-hmm. was to rule the underground sewers and eventually get Lori Lightfoot out of there. And I'm halfway there. I think you guys can do that together. <laughs> <laughs> together we can, like the Cheetah Girls say. Yes. I just saw some unreleased promo for the Cheetah Girls. And I think that we should do that for the pod. I'll, I'll, I'll show you guys. Academiacs, you'll be um, surprised. Well, that only leaves us with one thing left to say. Alexi, I love you. Lucy, I love you. Bye. Bye.